while trying to cling to the little bit of humanity or even bestiality. I don't know that I want to use that word. Uh, <laughs> animality. Fatality. Babality. Yeah. <laughs> Live from the Mundangerous Manual Transmission in New York City, I'm your host Shane. And I'm your host Ishan. And welcome to episode 179 of Total Party Thrill, a podcast for game masters and players where we discuss our campaigns in order to inspire yours. In this episode, we're discussing shifters. But first the rogue traders sign a contract in the Dynasty Unwarranted campaign. And later, the lunatic loses her mind in the Character Creation Forge. You know, I often lose my mind in the Character Creation Forge. Mm -hmm. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, So do our listeners if they're shouting things that we've gotten wrong or overlooked or mistaken. Oh, yeah, yeah. Mostly just uh, yelling uh, maybe on the subway or in the car, wherever you're listening. Or Twitter, you know, wherever. (laughs) Yeah, Twitter more often than not, I think. Uh, Well, I don't know. Speaking of people, maybe you'll shout at less. Total Party Thrill is brought to you by Elderwood Academy. Elderwood Academy are artisans who craft amazing gaming products, including dice towers, dice trays, dice boxes, deck boxes, dice, and more. Nice. You know, that kind of elocution is something you could probably only learn at an academy. Uh Uh-huh. Is it like Hogwarts? Like, do I get uh, a message, like a letter in the mail when I turn 11? Because that's soon. It's not. Um, it's more like uh, like secondary school in Germany where you have to go through a whole, like, apprenticeship program. Oh, actually, that kind of sounds terrible because, I don't know, I am not well disposed to Burgermeisters. <laughs> <laughs> okay, all of the products are crafted to look like... Bell books, scroll cases, codices, and other awesome fantasy gear we love, including their aluminum dice set. Um, now, I know everybody really likes metal dice. Uh, the heft, the weight, right? I don't know if you've noticed, though, but sometimes metal dice screw up your table because they're big and heavy and chunky. I Recently, we, like our group, nabbed a pair of zinc dice, which were really cool. Um, and I recently got a pair of aluminum dice. Um, which uh, like are light, but also like roll in a satisfying way. So, you know, I'm down with all different types of metal. Yeah. And if you don't want metal, you could get gemstones instead. But then I would, I would need to keep them and put them in big giant rings, right? Like, uh, like Prince John in uh, Disney's Robin Hood with those big yes. fat gem- Yeah. Fat yes, exactly. Those types of gaudy rings. <laughs> John. No, I mean, they have, like, such materials as rose quartz, African bloodstone, sandstone, uh, mahogany, obsidian. It's a good variety. They all look really cool. That's a lot. Those are also fantasy-esque sounding stones. Yeah, I think if you roll a fireball with turquoise, you actually lose the d6, though. Uh, Maybe you do steam damage. Right. (laughs) Which is definitely a damage type. Exactly. All right, so listeners can find... All of those and many more products at elderwoodacademy.com slash don't split. Um, they make great holiday gifts, but I guess the holidays are over. So I don't know. I get red stuff for Valentine's Day. Is that the next one? No, you return all your holiday gifts and then uh-huh. you buy your Elderwood Academy gear. Everyone has a bunch of socks and sweaters that they don't want right now. Exactly. Cash them in. And we're back. Speaking of getting yelled at, Shane, where are we in the Dynasty Unwarranted campaign? The Dynasty Unwarranted Campaign is our Warhammer 40k Rogue Trader game played using Dark Heresy 2nd Edition rules by Fantasy Flight Games. 
And on the death world Iblis Prime, in the frontier city of Meridian, the rogue traders have set out to establish a colony in the name of the Holy Throne of Terra and Prophet. Uh, yes, uh, definitely in that order, as always. As, as with all loyalists, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> you seek to advance the throne first, and then the <laughs> throne's in your pocket. Look, it is a golden throne, okay? <laughs> I am always pursuing golden thrones. I'm I, throne, n- singular. So, uh, speaking of, <laughs> while the rest of the group are getting the lay of the land in Meridian, uh, your character Trank and the astropath Flare are chasing down a lead on a mining opportunity in the surrounding jungle, the Gilded Canopy. Oh, yes. We've been told that this will be very easy. All we need to do is traipse off into the jungle. The, the gilded canopy because of its golden leaves, right? Mm-hmm. And I guess just start like picking up uh, Xenotech artifacts and ruins and stuff. It's going to be a cakewalk. Yeah, and, or just, just put a shovel into the ground and just take out some more. So uh, so who told you that, Ishan? Uh, that was Felipe. Mm-hmm. And, and what's your relationship with Felipe? Really good, I think. We're on really, really good terms. I mean, Trank is on really good terms with Felipe. Uh although he can't really tell him apart from the other Felipe's. He mm-hmm. did used to be an attendant to our astropath flare uh, until he betrayed us, and then we marooned him on a, what, an asteroid or some... Oh, a research station. A research station. A terrible abandoned research station. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, I mean, he deserved it. Yeah. yeah. Well, well, so I guess he got his, because uh, you have a meeting with uh, Stanton Blankhart, the proprietor of Leaf Lighters Scouting and Prospecting Company. He's a tall, skinny man with like a flowing white mustache. He, you know, you know the type. He wears a lot of khaki. Um, and then his greatest virtue is clearly his patience with you lot because um, you seem to think this is going to be an easy operation and uh, he knows that it's not. Look, that's what Felipe said. Why would he lie? So basically you review this lead that, you, that Felipe has given you. It's a, a vein that's deep in the Gilded Canopy near something called Mount Nalthus. Uh, Stanton is familiar with this, and in fact, he's led two prior expeditions uh, for other clients that both failed. Uh, Yeah, it's always a bad sign when you know about a vein of ore and you talk to someone else about it, and they're like, oh yeah, that one. We all know about that one. Mm -hmm. Uh, Okay, Uh, why hasn't it been tapped out already? Why didn't everyone dig it up? It's difficult, see? Um, (laughs) Yeah. It's far away, for one, which means there's a long trek through the jungle to get there and establish your um, mining base. And then on top of that, the mining in that area is difficult on account of, mm, it's right at the base of Mount Nalthus. So he explains one of his clients failed to reach the site because they didn't hire enough muscle uh, and they suffered too many casualties on the way. No problem. We're good with lots of casualties. And the second one reached the site, but abandoned it shortly after their contract with Blenkart ended. And basically, they were trying to do it on the cheap and thought they could cut out the contractor and save some money, but ended up losing their shirts. Okay, so I'm hearing that you need to spend money to make money, right? Mm-hmm. That has been the story of this entire campaign. <laughs> I know. It's it's great from a GM accounting perspective because I'm just like, oh, no, you don't have the money from that yet. You're still recovering losses. Still still broke. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> the only time we've actually had money is during our time skips. Uh-huh. <laughs> and then it ends with, so how did you lose it all? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> These rogue traders are staying hungry. <laughs> All right, so we're like, fine, we're not going to take any chances. Um, we don't know anything about this Mountain Althus. Uh, we'll sign a contract. 
Stanton and 25 of his leaf lighters are going to lead us and an escort of 75 armsmen to establish and secure a base camp. Flair and I begin shuttling a full 75 of our hardest spec ops armsmen down to Meridian. Uh, meanwhile, your Seneschal, who I will point out probably should have been part of this negotiation in the first place. Nah. So your Seneschal, Trix, and your Chief Medicaid Doc have spent their time wandering through ganger territory and spoiling for a fight. We'll see exactly how that turns out next week. So this week, we are returning to Eberron. With the release of Wayfinder's Guide to Eberron, we now have, you know, real 5th edition content. And we are continuing our race series by discussing um, one of the unique races of Eberron, Shifters. Yeah, we've already talked about Warforged, and we've talked about Kalishchar. I'm guessing maybe someday, possibly, we'll get into Changelings, but this time, uh, Shifters. Uh, Shane, what is a Shifter? So, Shifters are the wear-touched offspring of lycanthropes and humans. They're, you know, distant descendants. So, they can't fully change forms, but they can shift into sort of a enhanced, more animalistic appearance uh, that brings out those traits. Yeah, sort of like how Angel vamps uh, in Buffy the Vampire Slayer. Like, he, he doesn't turn into, like, a bat. He just sort of, like, grows some fangs and looks scarier. Shifters, I, I always feel like shifters are, are sort of like that, you know? It's important to note that uh, in Eberron, like, like you mentioned, they are distant descendants. It's not like a werewolf and a human had a baby and like they're half and half it's like long long ago in the distant past maybe there was some crossbreeding with some humans who like were also werewolves and then like that lineage um it doesn't it, it breeds true now they're actually a true breeding race you have shifters and you know two shifters uh have a baby it's a shifter yeah well importantly you can't really have a werewolf or a, a wear touched person and a human uh have a baby anymore because there are no more lycanthropes Yes, that's right. There are no more lycanthropes. <laughs> All gone. That was taken care of by the Silver Flame Purge. You know, a couple shifters here and there got caught up in that, but well, we'll, you know. we'll get there. We'll get there. We'll get yeah, there. yeah. Break a few eggs. Uh, shifters, shifters lay eggs, right? Right. <laughs> <laughs> so shifters have uh, similar builds to humans, but they kind of have the animal qualities. So they grow fur, for example. Um, and then they have like secondary characteristics that reflect their um, their type. So like a swift stride might have cat eyes or uh, beast hide will have like kind of a sturdy, powerful build. Um, they call it the beast within and it informs both their physical and their personality traits. Yeah, these sort of run the gamut, right? Like you can have a shifter who sort of looks like just like Wolverine, like pretty hairy and, you know, maybe has a few sharp canines. Or I guess I've seen some art that goes all the way toward, like, you have full body, like, fur. Like furry, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then also uh, important for Eberron is that shifters have no homeland. Uh, there's never been a nation of shifters, and today most of them are found in the Eldian reaches or in just rural areas of the various nations of Corvair. So shifters, like the other Eberron-specific uh, player races first appeared in the original Eberron campaign setting in 2004. In 4th edition, with the advent of Player's Handbook 2, they migrated out of Eberron. That is, they were sort of made available for other campaign settings outside of Eberron. So now you can put them wherever, right? They can show up in uh, the Forgotten Realms. I mean, you can stick anything in the Forgotten Realms because like nobody knows everything that's mm -hmm. in Faroon. Right. Um, 
I think you could probably work them somewhere into uh, Dark Sun, although I, I, maybe you'd make them more scaly. <laughs> <laughs> I don't, yeah, I don't, <laughs> I don't know how I feel about insect people, <laughs> insect-ish people. <laughs> Look at it this way. Shifters were definitely not on the list of races that were uh, killed via genocide okay, so there's uh, by, that. by the champions. Okay, <laughs> yeah. so you, you still have reasons that they might exist. Uh, and in fourth edition, so third edition had the, I think, four different types of shifters. Fourth edition sort of scaled it back where there are only two kinds, I think, uh, razor claw and long tooth. Yeah, you didn't get some of the cooler ones, like I think it's the fast one or the glidey one. Yeah, well, there's actually, I think there were six in the original um, uh, okay. by, the, by the end of third edition. I um, shift corrected. Right, because there was the, the flying one, the glide dive or something like that. Yeah, they have anyway. the, they have the Talenta Plains dinosaur names, basically. Right. Uh, and then finally, now we have them in playtest form in Wayfinder's Guide, and we've got four varieties. So let's talk about their in-game history then. Uh, in the world of Eberron, what's the background of shifters? So we mentioned they're descendants of lycanthropes and humans, but they are their own true breeding race. They don't really play a major role in Eberron's history, like the history of the world as a whole, because they tended to value independence and freedom rather than getting involved in society and politics. Like we said, they've never had their own nation. And also, like in the grand scheme of things, they're a relatively new race. I'd say probably, what, maybe a few millennia, which is not particularly long. Like there are dragon marked houses that are 3,000 years old. Right. And then on top of that, like they were never that numerous to begin with, right? Like, they've always been rare, even when they weren't persecuted. Oh, persecuted, huh? Well, (laughs) (laughs) you know, a little little under 200 years prior to the Day of Mourning, uh, the Church of the Silver Flame launched an inquisition, uh, as it does, to wipe out all of the lycanthropes from Corvair. And as you mentioned at the top, shifters were kind of caught up in this, despite them being recognized as different species. Um, And they died by the thousands. Yeah, it's it's important to note that like this event in Eberron's history, like there was um, a a lycanthropic like plague uh, spreading across the land at this particular time. Like it's sort of the, one of those unanswered questions about Eberron, like why did it happen? But uh, canonically, um, like lycanthropes started appearing everywhere. Like people became infected, and so you know the church went out on a crusade essentially to like end this uh this plague and a lot of people who just sort of looked like maybe they could be weird touched uh, got put to the sword and flame yeah and then i think worse than that is that some of the shifters actually aided the inquisition in hunting these true lycanthropes because they were able to actually track them and find them um which you know they're not the same species and they're not really that closely related but it's still kind of a source of shame for a lot of shifters that they um, aided the people who were you know killing them in droves so in general shifters aren't that numerous uh, even now Um, but they are sought after by all the different nations in Corvair as accomplished scouts Uh, however a lot of them still just live um, you know, as like woodsmen um, or like living off the land in the Eldine reaches in, in very rural areas. Right. And then I think another important thing that hasn't necessarily drawn shifters into the the major politics of Eberron is that for a long time, they were just not able to have dragon marks. And then I think in fourth edition, it was like, well, 
they're very very rare that they have dragon marks right i guess anybody could technically yeah, right. and now now though we're back to no dragon marks for shifters right because there's no there's no houses that have shifter as a potential race right i mean there's there are a few loopholes here and there but right <laughs> all right so what are some of the reasons to play shifters hey do you want animal folk or at least animal-like folk. Hey, you got animal in my player character. Yeah, that's that's the best option you got. You either tabaxi or shifter. Yeah, if you like uh, the fur. Although, I don't know, I play my shifters with very little fur. Maybe just tufts, tufts on the side of the face. You're, you're more of a wolverine than a saber tooth. Ah, yes, that's exactly it. There you go. Look at that, comics. Look at you, knowing superhero stuff. Mm-hmm. You know, for Christmas, I got... Um, I got cufflinks that are the infinity gauntlet that have different colored little like gemstones in them or not gemstones, but little like, you know, shiny things. Wait, really? Yeah. Wait, who gave that to you? Do they know that you don't like comics or superheroes? It's fine. It's my father-in-law. It's great. <laughs> oh, he's like, you're a big nerd. Yeah, exactly. These are big nerdy things. <laughs> we, we saw Black Panther together. <laughs> he, was, he was like... I know this. I know this. Okay. (laughs) And then I spent all of Christmas sitting at the uh, kitchen counter painting miniatures. So he was right. (laughs) (laughs) And you're like, look, look, no, this is Warhammer 40K. It's completely different. I did none of that. I talked about cooking the entire time. Oh, perfect. That's that's (laughs) smart. We don't have to talk about this weird thing that's (laughs) happening in front of you. That's okay. I do the same thing on our um, home group's Discord uh, channel. I've muted both the Kill Team and the Overwatch channels so that, you know, if I want to look at you guys painting things, that's nice, but I definitely don't have to. Yeah. All right. All right. Back to shifters. So they've got uh, also this strong connection to the wilderness and chaos and and freedom. Like you definitely don't need to lean into the... uh, animal or you know let's be honest furry aspects of shifters in any way it can be like this being who understands that everyone needs to be free and choose their own way because like it is evident in the way that they look and the way they feel inside right there is there is a an animal nature within themselves that they can tap into uh, physically and literally uh, but but also it, it sort of informs their outlook uh, about you know how you should live your life Shifters also make excellent outsiders. So because they tend not to be involved in the politics of nations or cities, you know, they're always going to be kind of external to that. Or the alternative is if your shifter is involved in those politics, they are probably the only shifter involved in politics in that area. So they're probably either an outsider to shifter society or very unique in their position. Yeah. It is nice to have this option uh, where sort of canonically you're not going to be part of a dragonmarked house, you're not really going to be tied to one of the you know, original five nations or, or even one of the sort of main uh, players on the continent because Eberron is a setting where there are large institutions, whether that's, you know, these massive guilds or like strong concrete nation states. Uh, and so you can be uh, someone who isn't necessarily like a monster uh, while still not being beholden to any of these powers. It could also be that you just distrust organized religion. I mean, shifters never originally put much faith in various religious orders, uh, but, <laughs> you know, you get purged uh, for, you know, 
a few decades and it makes you not feel that great about the silver flame yeah (laughs) and i mean there's there's so many different religious orders within corvair or even if they're not truly religious like quasi-religious orders the type of the type of organization that would seem like a religious order um there's there's a lot of that to kind of rage against if uh if you take that as sort of your personal sort of mission as a shifter yeah like maybe your shifter community was really religious you know worshipped um the sovereign hosts or you know one of the other sort of various sects but they didn't save you did they right i i like the idea that perhaps i i mean almost certainly there could have been shifters within the church of the silver flame pre-purge yeah i mean silver flame is what uh 800 years old so there was like six seven hundred years where you know it was a major religious force and there was no purge. Yeah. But the descendants of that shifter or those shifters who were parts of the church are almost certainly like very bitter about the treatment they got. Mm-hmm. All right. So every time we talk about uh, playing different races, we also talk about physiology. And this is one of those races where the physiology actually is pretty different from your, your standard human or humanoid. Uh, like we said before, the art really differs on exactly how much fur shifters have uh particularly on their faces uh it varies from artist to artist um i think basically you decide exactly like how much hair or how animalistic your shifter is but just keep in mind that like you're not passing for human you know um like if you want to go through areas where people don't like shifters or or, are human-centric you're gonna need to like wear a heavy hood and cloak or use some kind of uh disguise kit or magic yeah like a shifter is is the same as an elf You know, they clearly look like shifters and you don't really hide that without taking very active steps to do that. Oh, I thought I'd just, if I'm an elf, I just uh, put on that like headband that just covers the tops of my ears. Oh yeah. Like Spock. Oh, (laughs) (laughs) I thought you meant like Cindy Lauper. (laughs) Also, yes. You know, she's an elf. I don't know if you know that. The the other like sort of superficial aspects um, always reflect whatever the heritage of the shifter is. So things like ears or eyes, nose, um, your build and gait, all of those things are related to, you know, are you um, descendant of cats or of bears or of wolves, right? They're going to kind of um, closely mirror those types of features. Yeah, remember, it was the lycanthropic purge, not the werewolf purge, right? There are lots of different weir creatures that are possible. Uh, and I guess canonically, they all have, you know, sort of different alignments, although in Eberron, that, you know, that uh, is even more gray than it normally is. But yeah, you can have weir tigers, weir cats, weir bears, weir boars. Oh my. <laughs> and your little weir dog, too. <laughs> well, we have those. <laughs> so, so in terms of stats, then... Uh, all shifters get a uh, plus one to dex. They all have dark vision. They all have the ability to shift as a bonus action, um, which gives them all uh, temporary HP equal to their level plus their con bonus. Um, and then they all get perception proficiency, which I think is really interesting for animals. Yeah. And of course, keep in mind, if you already took perception proficiency from somewhere else, you can pick something different. Yep. And then all of their different um, sub races, right? The beast hide, the long tooth, the swift stride, and the wild hunt will get plus two to a stat, a proficiency in a skill, and some bonus that occurs whenever they shift. I like this mechanical layout for sub races because it's not something that I think we got in the PHB, um, where the sort of main base race gets a plus one and it's the sub race that gives you your plus two. 
Uh, yep. I think we saw that with uh, Gith as well. It, it's a nice way to sort of differentiate the fact that, like, yes, they, they are all the same race, but there are marked differences between the different subraces. Yep. So the Beast Hide, these are the bear or boar descendants. They get a bonus to con, athletics, and then they gain D6 temp HP and a plus one to AC when they shift. Um, so they're a little sturdier. The long tooth are descended from predators like tigers or wolves or hyenas. Uh, you got to be careful that people maybe don't mistake you for a knoll, perhaps. <laughs> Um, they get plus two to strength. They get uh, intimidation and can use an unarmed attack as a bonus action. Uh, that's fangs, though. They bite. The swift stride are the cat descendants. Um, they get plus one to dex and plus one to charisma, which effectively gives them a plus two dex and plus one charisma. Um, they get acrobatics proficiency and a base plus five to their walking speed. And then when they shift, they get another plus five to their walking speed and they can move uh, 10 feet as a reaction when an enemy ends their turn adjacent um, which doesn't provoke attacks of opportunity so they can kind of you know dodge out of the way with cat like grace for example I think it's interesting that this sort of uh, is redundant with one of the abilities of the scout rogue so maybe you actually don't want to take swift stride with a scout rogue uh, then you have wild hunt uh, or descended from you know maybe dogs or maybe even uh, birds like raptors yeah, animals that track their prey, basically. Mm-hmm. Uh, they get plus two to wisdom, survival, and they get an ability called Mark the Scent, uh, which helps them track creatures, and they get advantage on wisdom checks uh, while they're shifted. Yeah, Mark the Scent is actually pretty good. It gives you, um, basically, it gives you expertise when tracking um, that target. So that's four different subraces. We don't have uh, the other two from third edition yet. I'll be interested to see if they do get brought back at some point or if they're just going to stick with the four. Um, we don't have the flying one. And we've seen that in fifth edition, you know, Wizards has been, uh, they've been wary about bringing in creatures that can fly even for short periods of time. So let's talk a little bit about shifter culture. Yeah. Now remember, uh, we're going to talk about, you know, shifter culture in general. And the thing that you are going to decide when you are creating your shifter character or NPC is, are you typical for a shifter or are you atypical? It could be that you're the complete opposite of this, but keep that in mind because most of the other shifters you meet will fall within these parameters. So whether you're in the Eldine reaches or in the outskirts of other nations, shifter communities are always going to be small um, or non-existent. You know, it might just be a few lone shifters rather than a real community. But one thing they all share is this, um, this feeling of the journey yet to come um, sort of an emphasis on freedom and self-reliance and a readiness to adapt to changes or seize opportunities that present themselves. Like you mentioned, they're sort of chaotic, right? Yeah, and so obviously they're drawn to careers that uh, utilize their skill set well and then let them sort of roam um, or, or don't confine them to particular hierarchies. So scouts, rangers, the greatest druids. Uh, barbarian is another natural multi-class, but barbarian isn't exactly a career. <laughs> what? What are you talking about? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm just here uh, doing some barbarism. <laughs> this dog's resume... <laughs> oh oh no uh, here you need cv i'll be back 
<laughs> Your CV is just a collection of bones. <laughs> <laughs> See, we have uh, a, a human, human <laughs> bone, and we got the uh, elf. Wait, what? <laughs> this is elf, yes. <laughs> You see the kids in the hall sketch where they're like trappers, uh, they're fur trappers. Um, they're going through the city and they're they're trapping businessmen and collecting their suits instead of pelts. <laughs> they're like, oh, we have uh, some Perry Ellis uh, and uh, many many Armani. No, I've never seen this, but I love it. <laughs> it's almost like the SNL, um, the Daddy uh, Dog Show. Did you see that? No, but they're showing dads like in at Westminster. Yeah, it's like Westminster Abbey or the American Kennel Club, but they're showing dads. <laughs> like business dad is on his phone the whole time. Feel the heat from his haunches. <laughs> okay, so shifters also have uh, pretty strong family bonds. I mean, that happens when you have these uh, cultural stories handed down from previous generations about how most of your family was murdered. You've got to stick together. Yeah, and I think that's especially true if um, they're descendants of, like, more pack animals. Mm. Like, that instinct is going to be stronger, um, especially something like a long tooth where they're actually truly are, like, lupine descendants. Um, yeah. You would expect them to run almost like the way werewolves sort of stereotypically do. Mm. I really like the idea that this is even a further way to break down the different subraces. Because if you look at something like Wild Hunt, um, you know, they're trackers, but they could be like based on a bird of prey. They could also be a dog where like birds of prey usually hunt alone and dogs hunt in packs. And so you could, right. you could have two different Wild Hunt shifters um, who like act very differently or have a, a very different cultural experience. But I think an important factor here is that... Um, shifters are not afraid to strike out on their own regardless of family right it's the sort of thing where family understands that sometimes the journey yet to come arrives and it's time to go Mm -hmm. i think another thing to keep in mind is that of the sort of like pc races that we've gotten shifters are some of the shortest lived so they mature um pretty rapidly uh they reach like adulthood earlier than humans do and emotional maturity as well um but they also they also rarely live past 70 but that does mean that they probably have shorter generations so uh, honestly you probably have and they multiply quickly right Uh, or at least can multiply quickly um so you can have like large litters uh, of shifters you could have many uh many different brothers and sisters um but also your elders may very well be like 50 years old 60 maximum um, before they're sort of almost too too old or feeble to do these very you know physical activities that you're, you're sort of uh, uh, prone to. Mm-hmm. Um, it also means that you could have a shifter adventurer who's like twelve, um, right? And and is like you know fully ready to like get out there in the world, right? So in terms of how shifters interact. Um, I think with each other, they see themselves as kindred spirits, right? Like there is that sort of history of persecution um, and and uh, an understanding that they're kind of on the outside of the major goings on. So they're probably more likely to trust other shifters or at least give them the benefit of the doubt. Yeah, although keep in mind with, with these types of insular communities, you also get um, a shunning effect sometimes with people who don't like... Uh, stay within certain cultural mores it's probably looser with shifters just because you know they're so devoted to the ideal of freedom in general freedom. Yeah. but if we talked about earlier if you have a shifter who sort of didn't grow up in a community or in the Eldian reaches and grew up in the city 
um, is like, you know, works for a dragon marked house or, you know, um, is part of like the King's Dark Lanterns or, you know, has actually like joined a military order. You might have a lot of tension with other shifters who like are not interested in being part of the like continental hierarchy. Right. Um, so I think another important distinction for shifters is that they're probably not necessarily drawn to each other based on the beast within. Um, unless they happen to be pack animals of, of the same kind. Um, but even then, like if they're not in the same pack, they probably aren't thinking that way. So, you know, um, like you said, right, like a uh, a pair of, of eagle, uh, of, of eagle shifters, right, of wild hunt shifters are, are not going to really have a whole lot to bond over. Right, um, or, two, or two beast hides who are uh, bears. Right. Like they're territorial creatures who who don't necessarily like feel that kinship, um, so you've kind of got to base that on the animal that underlies them, right? Like if you're based on an apex predator, it actually might be that you clash more with similar shifters because you operate in the same space. You know, like uh, you're, you're not um, you don't have the same hunting ground anymore, uh, but it could feel like that. Or you know, I I am a fighter. Uh, and now you're here also a fighter and it's, it's possible that you end up taking my position here. This is, mm-hmm. this is, I'm not interested in that. As for everyone else, I think, you know, for the most part, if you're playing in Eberron, almost every shifter is going to have some distrust of religious figures, especially the silver flame. Yep. But on the flip side, you're more likely to judge people on individual merit rather than their station or their standing or their title. Um, just because you're not part of that society and that title doesn't necessarily mean anything to you. Yeah, I think it's important to remember that uh, in lore, the Silver Flame has, at least relatively recently, like apologized for the Purge and said that you know it was it was a bad idea and it definitely went overboard. I mean, that doesn't fix things, obviously, but you can have an individual who's um, a worshiper of the Silver Flame, or maybe even like you know a high level, um, you know, paladin, cleric, or, or inquisitor who says like you know I obviously wasn't alive then. It was a you know, terrible time in our history and, and may actually like reach out to shifters they meet or another shifter in the party who <laughs> would start off very distrustful. And then, you know, maybe some relationship develops or not. Maybe you stab them in the night. Right. <laughs> I just don't want to take any chances, you know? Um, I do think shifters would be much more drawn to have kinship with people who follow their kind of more primal paths, mm. right? So other rangers, um, other scouts, um, certainly other druids, like those would be the the types of occupational relations that they understand. Yeah, and then other races that typically have a natural affinity for nature, like um, uh, wood elves, for example. Mm-hmm. Um, and obviously something like a furbolg or, you know, certain kinds of gnomes. Yeah, that's interesting for bulg because furbolg are so fey oriented they're almost like unnatural in that way mm-hmm. yeah I, I guess it depends on that particular shifters uh feelings about thalanus which is the Feywild in eberron right okay so what are some reasons that a shifter might actually join an adventuring party i mean it's right there in their culture it's called the journey yet to come like times change opportunities arise you get wanderlust whatever it is you need to change the scenery it doesn't matter like shifters have a cultural um affinity towards moving so they just take the step in the journey and it seems like the right thing to do at the time it could also be for career oriented reasons right shifters are 
people. They are humanoids uh, who have this particular like bestial lineage. But it it doesn't mean that they're not interested in things like careers or jobs or like you know societal advancement. Um, it's pretty easy for one of them to get hired as a tracker or a scout, uh, particularly outside of the Eldian reaches where those kinds of abilities are more difficult to come by. Uh, and that can certainly take you far afield. Yeah, I mean, uh, a shifter druid um, still has to do everything that a druid does to protect the the wild that they're responsible for. So they could easily, you know, have to venture further out in order to solve some problem that's going to affect them. And uh, particularly for the pack animal shifters it might be that they've been cast out from their old pack or society or you know they just didn't fit in for some reason and so they're out looking for a new one and of course what makes a better pack than a small group of people who with a shared and common purpose uh, out there risking their lives for each other yeah and that doesn't necessarily even have to be like your starting position, right? Like you could yeah. just be hired as the tracker or scout and then develop that affinity for the party, right? And start to see them that way. And that's why you stick around, even though like your job was really just to get them from, you know, this location to that location. Yeah. And here we are. And I mean, obviously I'm the alpha, so I can't just abandon them. <laughs> yeah. And I mean, they would be lost without me, clearly. <laughs> They're just cubs. <laughs> All right, so in t- mechanically, uh, classes that work really well for Shifter, uh, this is one of those races where the stat spread is so varied that you can do almost anything. Yeah, the only thing you really don't get access to is intelligence. So, you know, wizard is a little hard to come by, but otherwise every class can kind of squeeze in for you. Yeah, you even get plus one to charisma. I think, um, you know, Shifter Warlock, mm-hmm. definitely doable. So the Beast Hide and Longtooth, um, because they get bonuses to con and strength, uh, Barbarian and Fighter both make a lot of sense for them. Yeah, Swift Stride is Rogue or Fighter, although like I mentioned before, just make sure that you're not overlapping class features with your shifting features. Yeah, and because Swift Stride gets that bonus to Charisma, you could also look at um, you know, Paladin, you could also look at Sorcerer or Warlock. Yeah, and, you know, um, Swashbuckler, Rogue, obviously, right? Dex, Charisma. Right. Uh, and then Wild Hunt, uh, because they get the bonus to Wisdom, makes a lot of sense for a Ranger or for a Druid um, or even Cleric, though, you know, you would definitely be playing against type if you were a member of a of an order, of a religious order or a church. Yeah, but, you know, there just aren't that many plus two wisdom races out there. So, hey. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> you might be able to shoehorn a shifter in easier than a Furbolg. Right. <laughs> so, in terms of combat, um, this is mostly going to be driven by the beast within. Um, you know, a wild hunt is probably going to be cautious and patient. Um, you know, track their prey and then strike at the right time while a beast hide shifter is probably blundering and violent and territorial. Yeah, I think it's really interesting to sort of consider the way that the beast within views the particular combat scenario that you're in. Um, And then there's kind of two ways to go with, with this. You can act like the animal, right? Like you know, charge right in and start slashing. And, you know, some shifters even get like actual like bite attacks or, you know, maybe um, you have a, a claw or an unarmed strike or something like that. Um, but you, it could also be filtered through the lens of like, 
I am a humanoid with weapons and armor, right? So while the tactic is rush in and like begin to tear your enemy apart, the way you're doing that is with like your maul or your greatsword or, you know, even with like refined combat techniques, right? A battlemaster uh, fighter who is a shifter still uses their like precision attack and, and repost and all of that, uh, but, you know, probably goes directly for the jugular. Mm-hmm. Whereas like a long tooth is probably working more as a team, right? Because they tend to be more like pack oriented animals and, and sort of team fighters. Um, and then like swift stride as a cat is sort of more on the defensive side, right? Like trying to uh, avoid getting stuck in uh, in a situation that they can't handle. Right. As an opportunist. Um, and then, yeah, if you if you have a, a track animal in your heritage, maybe you want to set an ambush or you just want to wait. Let's wait for a minute or two and let's watch them and let's just see what they do so that we know what we're getting into here and then right. one quick strike and we win so in terms of skills um all shifters get perception so obviously that makes a lot of sense but you'll have nature and survival are natural places to put points um something like wild hunt can go a little broader um insight and medicine make a lot of sense um both for like the observational nature as well as the wisdom bonus uh, yeah, and depending on your sub race, like you're getting plus two to different ability scores. So it's really nice to sort of pick up the um, other skills that are sort of outside your wheelhouse that you have a, an ability score affinity for. Like if uh, if you're swift stride, you've got that dexterity. So, you know, maybe take a look at sleight of hand or something like that. So there is one other type of shifter that I think we haven't really talked about yet. Mostly we've been leaning into, you know, the the bestial side uh, of shifters. You know, how do you sort of respond to the type of animal that you're, you're sort of like descended from in the far distant past? But I think there's a type of shifter, uh, you know, the city shifter or maybe the the self-hating shifter. Yeah, the, the self-loathing shifter. Yeah, exactly. The kind of shifter who is uninterested in their animal nature and in fact maybe even detests it a bit, kind of hates the fact that people look down on them, maybe shaves as much of their fur as they possibly can, uh, spends a lot of time you know, acting and speaking as refined as they possibly can be. Um, you can go a couple different ways from this. You can be like the kind of person who like hates themselves, right? Like, uh, I'm, I'm tortured and I don't like the body that I've been in. That can work. Um, but you can also just go with the the shifter who likes to play against type. Like this reminds me of in Shadowrun, there's this famous um, picture of a bugbear in a three-piece suit, which just looks amazing because, you know, he's got like these tufts of fur everywhere and these big long arms, but like it's a perfectly tailored suit that like has longer arms. Yeah, like a like a Werewolves of London type imagery. Yeah, exactly. So I can definitely imagine a, a shifter who... Um, you know, understands that they have this particular heritage, but just isn't that into it. They're much more refined. They're they're a wizard, or they have a place at court. They're a noble. You know, their their fur is particularly preened. They buy only the most expensive oils to to you know keep it in place. I like the idea of a shifter, and like every shifter gets perception as a as a skill. I like the idea that you know maybe your sense of taste or smell is so acute that you only eat the best food, right? Like get uh, any kind of like gruel or peasant food away from me because I can taste the difference. I know that, that you can't because you're descended from some kind of like feral creature. Oh, great. The insufferable shifter. That's the archetype. <laughs> you know, be basically the shifter who is an elf. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> You'll get along famously. So Shane, have you ever played a shifter? 
Uh, I have not, but I am buddies with a shifter in uh, in the Eberron reboot that we're playing. Oh, right. Uh, Angelo's playing a, a shifter who's actually a bard. He's a shifter bard, uh, and he's he's pretty close to the fae. Mm-hmm. And I'm a Ferbolg druid, uh, and we work uh, we work for the same organization, though perhaps not the same faction. Uh, yeah, it's not quite tag team, but you're like, yeah, yeah, we've basically been ordered to do the same things. Okay. We're like friendly neighbors. Um, yeah, I think shifters get short shrift, oh, there I go. suppose, uh, among the Eberron-specific races, which is interesting because you know, if you look at Warforged and Kalishtar and Changelings, shifters are the probably the easiest ones to put into a different kind of campaign setting. Um, mm-hmm. Almost everyone understands like, oh, it's like a person who has animal characteristics. Like that's most D&D races. Yeah, you don't have to take a, a huge leap the way that you do with like changelings where, oh, there's just doppelganger people running around everywhere. Uh, what's going on here? Yeah, and you don't have to shoehorn in psionics you know, if you right. want to like run Kalishtar and certainly no like living golems. No robots. <laughs> yeah, but that might be one of the reasons why like people, I think, don't pick up on shifters as they don't naturally gravitate towards shifters when they're reading through Eberron, right? They're like, oh, my God, look at these amazing cool races. And shifters are like, oh, yeah, I've, I've kind of seen these before. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they also just don't have that large of a place in, like, Eberron's lore. So you don't hear about the actions of shifters throughout um, reading through the campaign settings and stuff, right? Mm-hmm. So they're kind of, they fall out of mind pretty quickly, I think, for a lot of people. But I think that's a nice opportunity to be a shifter who wants to put the race on the map. You know, like, you can be sort of, like, the first, um, like, famous shifter in eberron history or you know where wherever you are like like there are no famous shifters in forgotten realms or or anywhere else right because they it didn't originally start there um and like in these episodes we usually sort of have a section on like magic items but there are no magic items specifically for shifters you know they don't have a long tradition of like magic or or forging artifacts or things like that nobody really made them for them so this is definitely an opportunity to create the first one and to sort of really decide uh how like your eberron is going to view shifters in general if you Mm -hmm. become world famous right do you hear that ishan that's the call of the beast within um i'll be right back i have to go to the bathroom well, you can't do it alone, so let's move on to the Character Creation Forge and roll you up a friend. But before we do that, let's talk about how our listeners can get in contact with us. We do love hearing from you. You can tweet at Shane at Mundangerous. That's M-U-N Dangerous. And you can tweet at Ishan at Evil Sans Carne. That's Malice minus Meat. And you can tweet at the show at TPTCast. You can also email us at TotalPartyThrill at gmail.com. And you can find us on the web at www.TotalPartyThrill.com. We're also on Facebook and Instagram at TotalPartyThrill. Total Party Thrill is also brought to you by Kobold Press. 12 Peculiar Towers is a collection of 5th edition adventures for characters levels 1 to 13 with the theme of, you guessed it, lots of towers. 12 of them, in fact. Yeah, uh, you can discover the mysteries within those towers, including the forest lair of a Ravenfolk bandit gang, a magical archive of ancient elven lore, the hideout of a powerful Thieves' Guild master. You know, if this Thieves' Guild master was that powerful... Why have we found their hideout? Oh, you maybe know? he wanted you to find his hideout. Oh, crap. That's exactly what happened. Yeah, you <laughs> fell for the trap already. <laughs> or perhaps you'd like to find the stronghold of a sinister blood mage. That is definitely going to turn out well. 
I have always enjoyed the Blood Mage because it is both uh, icky, right? It's got that gross factor, uh, but also, you know, quadratic wizards historically, they're just really good at killing PCs. Plus eight other distinctive dungeons. Now, each of these 12 towers comes with a beautifully illustrated map, including many of them which are isometric. And they're filled with plenty of traps, hazards, and enemies to challenge your players. So you can pick up 12 peculiar towers in print or PDF today at www.cobaltpress.com. I bet you could get them in, in both print and PDF. I mean, if you're real crazy. Well, that's most of our listeners. <laughs> So, this week in the Character Creation Forge, we are building the Lunatic, which is, I think, all of our builds. <laughs> yeah, and, and also, some of the worst wordplay. <laughs> get it? Wait, did you get it? We're talking about the Canadian $2 coin. <laughs> <laughs> Do you like etymology? Because this is how you get etymology. So the, the root of lunatic is, of course, lunar, um, reference to the moon because people would go crazy with the full moon. Um, so there's that. <laughs> there you go. And shifters, the moon, lycanthropes. Okay, anyway. Uh, so Shane, what does our lunatic do? Uh, our lunatic um, inspires madness, is not, ah. is not herself mad. Uh, perhaps she uh, infects others with it. Maybe she is. Maybe herself. she is the moon. <laughs> <laughs> right. I am the moon. Yeah, we we had to get her size really big. Right. But in five E, anything uh, bigger than there's nothing bigger than gargantuan, right? So as soon as you get there, you're good. Yeah, you're moon sized. <laughs> That's no moon. That's a shifter. <laughs> All right. What is the build? It is long tooth shifter moon druid four great old one. Pact of the Tome Warlock 16. All right, so real quick, the Druid, four levels. You'll get Wild Shape, improved for low-level forms. That's up to CR1. Uh, you'll also get second-level spells, notably including Moonbeam. And at fourth, you'll get the ASI. I like that uh, you can still use your Longtooth uh, Shifting while in animal form, which gives you a Bite Attack. So even if you have an animal form that doesn't have a bite attack or that has a terrible bite attack, you can use that one. So I really like the idea that like you are, you know, a sparrow, mm -hmm. <laughs> like a CR one eighth sparrow, you land it on someone's shoulder and then, you know, you just like do 23 points of damage with a right. giant bite attack somehow. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's also uh, just in general useful for moon druids because a lot of the, beast forms don't have natural bonus actions or they do but they're triggered um so if you miss that trigger or if you just don't have one you've got a floating bonus action now from warlock we get telepathy which we've used before in beast form it means that you can talk to other people while you're in beast form very right. handy you don't have to waste uh, a wild shape by shifting out you also get 8th level spells, which include the Skag cantrips uh, for when you're not in beast form. You get Hex, which is important. Uh, and then, of course, you get just all of those Warlock um, uh, madness effects. Crown of Madness. Dissonant Whispers. Yeah, Mental Prison, Maddening Darkness. You get Feeble Mind, which is nice. Hypnotic Pattern, Synaptic Static. And, of course, you also get, you know, not just thematic, but also useful spells like Hold Person and Hold Monster. And I really like at level 14, you get Create Thrall, uh, which, you know, is a form of madness, right? Terrible, unending 
mind slavery. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's madness. All right. Yeah, that's that's pretty terrible. You're you're a, you're slaved by the moon. <laughs> you know, Eberron has thirteen of them. So <laughs> yeah. <laughs> You do get seven invocations. Um, I think Aspect of the Moon is probably the most thematic here. It's also pretty useful. It means you don't have to sleep. Yeah, no sleep. Yeah. Uh, and since you're probably great at, you know, perception and all that, you're, you know, sort of an ideal candidate to be the person who keeps watch all night. Um, and then things like Maddening Hex. And, of course, you know, you're going to take the, your regular staples like um, Agonizing Blast. Right. Uh, but then, yeah, Maddening Hex is a nice way to just throw some extra damage around, a great way to trigger um, con- concentration checks, things like that. Yeah, and you know, as a Warlock, you do get access to a fair number of area uh, damage spells. You know, um, you know, you'll get Moonbeam, but, you know, Maddening Darkness or, you know, walls and things like that. So if you do take a Repelling Blast... Um, or I think Grasp of Hadar pulls with your Eldritch Blast. It's a pretty easy way to do some extra damage by pushing someone into a dangerous area. I, I do like using the push and pull version of Eldritch <laughs> Blast to just keep moving somebody <laughs> through a wall of fire. <laughs> that way, uh, and then this way. Right, you don't need to reposition at all. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so in terms of leveling order, I think we would just start Druid and then go straight Warlock. Um, yeah. at, at level five, you're getting your Eldritch Blast is upgraded anyway, so you don't give up much by just finishing Druid up front. Yeah, that works nicely for me because uh, Druid two, you're already going to get Moon Forms, and it's quite strong. Right. So, uh, who is your lunatic? My lunatic is descended from one of those rare shifters who joined the Silver Flame as part of the Purge, and the guilt of it has. Well, driven her insane. Uh, however, you know, she she pursued the path of, of her ancestor who basically used their abilities to hunt down uh, other shifters and lycanthropes. And of course, had all of these abilities where um, they were sort of a, sort of perfectly positioned to handle shape changers. So Moonbeam uh, is more effective against shape changers. I think at Warlock 15, you can even get uh, Witch Sight which uh, lets you see the true form of shape changers. Um, and, you know, it drove her insane, but she really leaned in, it leaned into it. Rather than, you know, figuring a, a way out of this, she decided, you know what, this is my path. I'm part of the Silver Flame. I am I am a, essentially an inquisitor, right? She's not a cleric or a paladin, exactly. Um, I think your inquisitor brand uh, was mostly sorcerer. Mm-hmm. <laughs> So, you know, uh, sort of by any means necessary uh, type of build uh, where, you know, she is probably one of a small cadre within the flame who believe that the purge wasn't all that bad an idea. And, you know, maybe you need to be ever vigilant just in case the Lycanthropes reemerge. Uh, an Inquisitor after my own heart. Uh, a heart? Well, like cold, <laughs> dead lump. Yes. After my own pragmatic shell. <laughs> after my own... <laughs> Life-sustaining organ. <laughs> All right. What about your lunatic? So my lunatic learned the druidic arts at an early age, um, which was a problem because between the ability to become an animal for a time and the ability to lean into um, his own like bestial nature, he began to lose himself. Um, 
you know the the freedom of becoming an animal versus the hardship of being you know a, a humanoid versus the um unsure like what who is the true me you know if uh, if i can lean into these different forms um eventually suffered a break um and was seized upon um by some elder creature right that that saw the weakness in his mind and decided to reinforce it and feed fill that gap um so my lunatic is truly quite crazy um but he shares that madness with those around him um while trying to cling to the little bit of humanity or even bestiality I don't know that I want to use that word. Uh, animality <laughs> that that he has, right? Like fatality, babality. Yeah. <laughs> he's he's fighting against the uh, the the spirit that has possessed him, um, right? But uses that madness as a weapon um, to try and reclaim who he is. Does he see the madness as a gift? Is that why he's trying to give it to other people? Uh, no, I think it's the, it's not a gift. It's um, it's definitely a curse, and it's definitely a source of guilt. Um, but it's the only way that he can like by controlling it is the only way that he can feel like he is you know not insane. Ah, share the burden. It's, it's something like that. Share. That's a good word for it. <laughs> <laughs> All right, before we wrap up, we want to take a moment to thank our Patreon supporters. Yeah, your support is what makes it possible for us to keep doing this show every single week. So if you'd like to learn more, you can check out our rewards at patreon.com slash totalpartythrill. You can also leave us a five-star review on iTunes, and if you do, we'll read it on the air, just like this one. This is an excellent podcast by Goggles the Ferret. This podcast is a great resource for any GM or player out there, no matter what game you play. It got me writing an Eberron campaign in no time. Great work. Hey, another Eberron campaign. Look at that. Yeah, look at like they should we should get a commission. Yeah, exactly. From all the money that Keith Baker gets each time someone starts a new Eberron campaign, which I'm yeah. sure is lucrative. <laughs> right. <laughs> I want it from Wizards. I don't want to take it out of Keith's pocket. Oh, fair. Okay. All right, yeah. Wizards. Ten percent of nothing is carry the nothing. Still nothing. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's right. I guess what you're saying is we're already getting our cut. Nice. Um. Yeah, but I'd like to double it. Oh, I'd triple it. Why stop there? <laughs> yeah, 30% of nothing. Come on. <laughs> <laughs> All right. What do we have planned for next week's episode? We're talking about putting down the dice. And in the Character Creation Forge, we're building the Improviser. Well, that's it for episode 179 of Total Party Thrill. I hope we lived up to our name. But either way, I'm Shane. And I'm Ishan. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.